0: Hey everyone, welcome back to the Monclova Baptist Church Podcast. We're thankful that you joined us today. Hey, if you would do us a favor at the end of this episode, make sure that you follow us on our social, Instagram and Facebook, and subscribe to our YouTube channel and hit that bell button so that you get notified every time that we post new content. If you also want to stay connected with us beyond Sunday morning, make sure that you download the MRBC app on the Google Play Store or the App Store. Now let's dive in.
1: Revelation chapter 1 verse 7. It took us that last couple weeks to get this far, and uh, today I hope to get through a good part or all of this rest of this chapter today and get into chapter number 2, which is an exciting chapter. We're going to look at this church, the churches uh, that are mentioned in chapter 2. But today I want us to look at these, these three words here and then the rest of this chapter, but the three words that I want us to look and I use just as my, my message here today, and that is this, behold, he cometh. Behold, he cometh. Now, who's he speaking of? He is Jesus. The book of Revelation is about the unveiling of Jesus Christ. The book of Revelation is about the second coming of Jesus Christ. And in verse number seven of chapter one, we find John writes this, behold, He cometh with the clouds. Our eye, every eye, shall see him. And they also which pierced him, and all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him, even so, amen. And then we hear the words of Jesus, he speaks, John is penning down, as John is seeing what he is uh, experiencing, and he hears the words of Jesus Christ, and Jesus says this, I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is, which was, which is to come, the Almighty. This is what we as Christians have anticipated. This is what the New Testament church longed for, The church at Thessalonica could not wait for this, the Lord's return or the second coming of Jesus Christ. It was taught and it was uh, studied and it is revealed here in the book of Revelation. Jesus even told of this in John chapter 14. If you make your way there, John, the uh, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the fourth book of the New Testament, the gospel of John, John is writing this in his book. He's writing again what Jesus had said. And I wonder as John is seeing this revelation unveiled of Jesus Christ, if at any time he goes back and remembers the words from the the gospel of John where Jesus said this in verse number one, let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. As we see this verse and this, what a wonderful passage of scripture this is, we can apply this even to the book of Revelation because Jesus is saying something about his return. He's coming again. And as he's telling the, the, the disciples of this, he says, this ought not to trouble your heart. This is something that the, the follower of Jesus Christ ought to be excited about. The book of Revelation should not trouble the heart of the believer. It should be something that we're excited about. Why? Because Jesus... Is coming again. He says this in uh, John 14, 1, and uh, down there a few verses, let not your heart be troubled. Do you believe in God? He said, believe also in me. Then he begins to tell them about heaven. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. Then Jesus gives these words. These are the reasons why we are not to be troubled. He talks of this place of heaven. He talks of what's in this place. He talks of this wonderful place where God is, his Father. And if he just left it at that, it would be one of those things that we would only dream of, but we wouldn't know how to get there. It would seem so unachievable for a human being. But Jesus says this, I go to prepare a place for you. This is a promise that Jesus has. He says, there in my father's house, there's a place that I'm preparing for you. And this is what he says in verse three. And if I go and prepare a place for you, here we have it. I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. Since Jesus Christ has spoken these words, the followers of Jesus Christ have anticipated this, have longed for this, I believe as Jesus ascended back to heaven, his disciples so longed to be with Jesus once again. That's why they could face uncertain death. That is why they could face the ridicule and the mocking because they knew the promise that Jesus had that he is going to prepare a place and there's no better place than to be with Jesus Christ. And that allowed the disciples to endure what they endured. That that allowed John to endure this, this, this island of Patmos that he finds himself on because he knows that he's going to see Jesus. But Jesus does not just tell us about this place. He doesn't just say, I'm coming to get you. He also says this, how to get there. Look with me in verse number six. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Jesus says, As John is writing and he pens down in verse number seven, behold, he cometh. You see, this story that we're going to uncover as we're going to study the revealing or the revelation of Jesus Christ, we are going to find the story from John chapter 14, the other times where Jesus prophesied of his return. This story, this prophecy is going to be fulfilled. We're going to see this unfold. And therefore, I believe this, church, as we study this, there's application that we must make. Because as we study the book of Revelation, we don't just study it for knowledge. It's not just so that we leave here and we say, now I understand something. It ought to do something in our life. When we study this book and we understand this book, the Bible says here, he that readeth it, he that heareth, and he that keeps those things that are written therein, that then tells us this, it ought to drive us to action. And that action, I believe, is this, we ought to be living like Jesus is coming today. Not like Jesus can come again. There's a big difference between Jesus is coming and Jesus is coming today. When we have guests that come to our house, it's one thing to say the guests are coming. They could be coming a week away. But we know when the guests are coming today, there's a lot of work that has to be done. There's floors that get vacuumed and things. My wife just goes into that extra, extra mode. Why? Because she's anticipating the arrival. And we ought to be anticipating the arrival of Jesus Christ today. Now, let's look at verse number eight. Last week, we talked about numbers. We talked about symbolism. We talked about some things. And I want us to look at this today because this chapter, there's a lot of things that are going to be said. And this is the beginning where people start scratching their heads saying, I don't understand. What does this mean? White is wool. Feet as brass. I mean, did, did, really, does that what he saw? Is that how Jesus Christ appears today? I want us to look in verse number eight. The Bible says as Jesus is speaking, he says, I am the alpha and the omega. We quote that. You've heard that preached. See, alpha is this, the first letter in the Greek alphabet. He's saying, I'm the beginning. I'm the first. Omega would be the last letter in the Greek alphabet. So when Jesus says, I am the alpha and omega, what does that mean? What is he saying? When you say Jesus, you say it all. He's the first, he's the last. He's the beginning, he's the end. He's everything in between. The name Jesus means everything. The name Jesus means all-encompassing. The name Jesus means he always has been and he always will be. The name Jesus, when he says, I'm the Alpha and Omega, what is he saying? He's not saying I am the Greek alphabet. What he is saying is this. Their understanding of what these letters mean. I am A and I am Z. I'm everything. I'm totally complete. The name Jesus is all that you need. And that's how he approaches this book. When we know of Jesus, we know this that he is God's first word, he is God's full word, he is God's final word. The name Jesus is everything. And as Jesus is is testifying of himself with, I I am the Alpha and Omega. I am the beginning and the ending. I I am which is, which was, and which is to come. He says, I am the Almighty. Oh, listen to me, Christian today. What can we get from this verse? What can we get? What can we apply to our lives? It's simply this. You will never need more than Jesus. Jesus. Isn't it, isn't it just ironic how we are trying to get things out of this world? We're trying to live for the things in this world, only to come up disappointed. But Christian, we must understand Jesus is telling us this. All you need is Jesus. You can go deeper into Jesus, but you can't go farther than Jesus. Why? Because he's the beginning and the end. He's the alpha and he's the omega. The Bible tells us some things in verse number eight. He says, I am which is, which was, which is to come. You say, boy, that is just so confusing. Why doesn't he just tell us what he means? He's telling us exactly what he means. What is he saying? I am omniscient. I am everything. He's saying, I am omnipotent. I am the beginning and the end. There's nothing before me and there's nothing after me. He's saying this, I am omnipotent as unlimited, power. I am omnipresent. I am everywhere. You see, Jesus is identifying who he is. He came the first time in humility, but what we will find in this uh, chapter, in this verse, we'll find this as well, that when he comes again, he is coming with all power and all authority. He's coming as the Almighty. First Timothy chapter six, verse 15, the apostle Paul writes Which in his time he shall show who he is the blessed, the King of kings and the Lord of lords in his time. You know, throughout while Jesus was alive on the earth, he would say this his hour has not come. His hour has not come but oh, my friend, one day the hour is coming where Jesus Christ is going to return. And as I said in previous weeks, he's not coming this time as the lamb. He's coming as the lion. He's not coming this time in the humility to the cross. He's coming in power, in authority, as king of kings and as Lord of lords. Jesus Christ is coming again. And John writes, behold, he cometh. In verse number 9, we write, we find where John, he identifies himself as I, John. This is John, the one that laid his head on the the breast of Jesus. John, some believe that John was maybe in his 20s or so when he was following Jesus, a young man, maybe the age of Jesus, maybe a little younger. But as John is now writing this book, John Many believe he's some 60 or so years older now after the the crucifixion of Christ. So John could be in his 80s, closer to 90 years old, as he is exiled to the island of Patmos. John is an older man. John is hunched over and in tribulation, the Bible says, not going through the tribulation, but he's in tribulation in verse number 9. He's hurting. And God allows John to see some things in the future about Jesus. Patmos is a place of exile. It's a place in the Mediterranean that you would find where it was a place where they would send criminals to. It was a place that they would send, uh, uh, and it was a a prison system, and it was a place, a a quarry of type, where that would be hard labor they would send people to. This man John, this older man John, probably not able to do physical labor like he once could have done as a young man. He is now writing and longing for the day of seeing Jesus again. I'm sure as John was there, exiled to the island of Patmos, he thought about the days that he saw Jesus. The things that Jesus said now make total sense to John. John is longing, I'm sure, as John had penned about Jesus writing, uh, I go to my father's house, I prepare a place for you, Uh, there's mansions, I'm coming again. I'm sure all of those thoughts and all of those memories are are going through John's mind as he anticipates seeing Jesus again. But John, the last time he saw Jesus, he saw Jesus uh, ascend back into heaven. He saw Jesus being beaten. He saw Jesus, his beard being plucked. He witnessed Jesus being mocked and spit upon. The last time he saw Jesus, the last memories he had of Jesus here upon this earth, they shoved that crown of thorns there upon his head and the blood would just stream down. They whipped his back as John would see Jesus hanging there on the cross. and They put that plaque, King of the Jews, to mock him. John seeing Jesus there on that cross, not even identifiable as a man. His mother there crying, weeping because she sees her son being brutally crucified. He hears the words of Jesus, behold thy son, behold thy mother. You see, as John saw the last of Jesus, he saw Jesus as a lamb. He saw Jesus as the one that paid the sin debt of the entire world. Please don't miss this. John now is in tribulation, he's in testing, he's in trials. John gets a glimpse of Jesus in his glory now. In John chapter one, what we get to see, and what John gets to see, it's revealed of what Jesus is going to be like in his glory. It's not what Jesus appeared when John saw him here upon this earth, but he sees Jesus as Jesus is. Look again what uh, the Bible says, which is, which was, and which is to come. John saw Jesus as what he was. Now he is going to see Jesus as he is going to be when he comes again. I said this a couple weeks ago. I want to remind us the first time that Jesus came, he came as a lamb. He's coming this time as a lion. The first time he came, he came in humility. He comes this time with power and authority. The first time he came, he came and uh, uh, not to establish his kingdom, but when he comes again, he will rule and reign the entire world over the entire world. The first time he came, not as the judge, he came to seek and to save that which is but when John reveals what he saw in Jesus, he sees that Jesus is coming this time as the judge. And this is what John sees. And so today, with the time that we have, I want us to look at this passage of Scripture here and see, how does John see Jesus? Behold, he cometh. This is the unveiling of Jesus. Who is Jesus? What does he appear like? What do we need to understand and know about Jesus Christ? John chapter, I'm sorry, Revelation chapter 1, verse number 12 the Bible says this, and I turned. This is John speaking. He says, I turned to see the voice that spake with me. And being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. In the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man. Who does he see right in the middle of that candlestick? He sees Jesus. That one that he sees in the midst of those seven candlesticks is the Son of Man. The Son of Man being who? Jesus Christ. He's clothed with a garment down to his foot, girded about with paps, with golden girdles. His head and his hair were like white, like, like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire. Now, as we're reading this, this is symbolic. This is what he is writing. This is how Jesus appears. Now, when he sees Jesus, there's not fire coming out of his eyes. And I want us to look today. I want us to see this. I want us to dissect this. I I want us to understand what is John telling us? John saw Jesus. The Bible says this, verse number 12 to 13, as we read, the Bible says, I saw Jesus. I saw these seven candlesticks, and then I saw Jesus as the son of man. What John saw, first of all, John saw Jesus as the resurrected Savior, that son of man. He saw that Jesus that resurrected from the grave that ascended back to heaven. He saw that same Jesus in heaven. That tells us this, that Jesus is not dead. Jesus is not in the grave. His body was not taken. It was not hidden by his disciples. The body of Jesus is not sitting in some unmarked grave. The body of Jesus is alive and is in heaven. And John says, I'm a witness of this. As I looked into heaven, as it was unfolded to me, I saw the Son of Man standing in the midst of these seven candlesticks. He saw Jesus. Oh, listen to me, what is, the, what is the emphasis on that? If Jesus Christ had not resurrected from the grave, if God did not have the power to resurrect his son, then God does not have the power to resurrect us. If God did not resurrect his son, then everything that Jesus said is a lie. But if Jesus Christ is alive, if he did die, if he was placed in that grave, and he did rise again on the third day, and he is risen, and he is alive, that means this, everything that Jesus said, is true. Oh, in John 14, when Jesus says this, I go to my father's house to prepare a place for you. I'm coming again for you. Why do we rejoice in such a thing? Why is it important that he saw the son of man? Because he is saying this, when we see Jesus again, everything that Jesus promised to his disciples is going to come true. Why? Because he's a a resurrected savior. John hasn't seen Jesus for almost 60 years. John is now an older man, and John is seeing his Savior. Think of that. Boy, I went a year, it was a year and two days, I think it was a year and two days, that I went without seeing my son. Boy, I longed to see him. I couldn't wait to see him 367 days is a long time. He didn't change much. He looked the same. When he came through that door and I saw him, I saw my son, I was so excited to see him and I recognized him. I couldn't wait to see him. John, after 60 years, recognizes his Savior, Jesus Christ. He could not wait to see him. As he sees 60 years in the future, he realizes this, that John 1.14 is right. The Word was made flesh. In 1 Timothy, Paul writes this, God was manifest in the flesh. Jesus Christ is the risen Savior. Jesus Christ is eternal. And Jesus Christ is alive see, this is the unveiling of Jesus. The book of Revelation, the first thing I want us to see that John is trying to get across to us is this, Jesus Christ is a resurrected Savior. Number two, I want us to look at this, and in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the son of man, clothed with a garment down to his foot, and girt about with paps with a golden girdle, say, what's the significance of that? Is Jesus really wearing a dress? (laughs) Is he wearing this outfit? It's symbolic of what he sees. When he sees Jesus, would you write this down? John saw Jesus with great majesty. When he saw Jesus, he saw Jesus clothed as a king and a judge. What is John saying here? Why is it even significant? Why is it even important for us to know what Jesus is wearing? It's not important for us to know what he's wearing. That's not what John is trying to get across. He's not not addressing Jesus's wardrobe. What he's addressing is this, when I saw the resurrected Savior and I saw him in his glory, I saw him in his majesty, I saw him clothed as king, I saw him coming again as judge, he saw Jesus in great majesty. According to verse 13, this is important for us to see because as king, the Bible tells us this, that everyone is going to bow to him. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. And that is what John is saying. When I saw Jesus again, I haven't seen him since he ascended. But when I saw him again, I saw him just like he was when he ascended back into heaven. I saw him in his majesty. I saw him as king. I saw him as judge. He is Unavoidable. He is unveiled in all of his majesty. Some will meet him as saviors, and others will meet him as judge, but all will see him as king and lord. Everyone will. Oh, listen to me. There are some here today. The application that we can find in this today some will see him as savior, some will see him as lord. Others who reject him here upon this earth, they're going to see him, but they're going to see him as judge and everyone is going to bow to him. Those that know Jesus Christ, those that have accepted Jesus Christ while they're alive here on this earth, they're going to bow to him as their Savior, as their King, as their Lord, as the the Son of God. Others are going to bow to him as the judge. But you will not escape bowing before Jesus Christ. Oh, there's some today that mock the name of Jesus. There's some today that say they're an atheist and they don't believe in God. There's some today that say this, that there's more than one way to heaven, that we're bigot to say that there's Jesus is the only one, only way, that we're small-minded only to only believe that there's one way to heaven. But Jesus Christ is going to stand. And when he stands, clothed as a king and clothed as a clothed as a judge, John said, Every single knee will bow to him as Lord. Lord, every knee will bow. Thirdly, thirdly, I want you to see this. In verse number 14, the Bible says this. His head, is, his head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow. In verse number 14, you say, so did Jesus, when he went to heaven, his, his hair changed color? I've heard some people say this. When we all get to heaven, we're all going to have... Um, uh, white hair. And some will say, well, the reason why is because the Bible says when we get there, we'll all be like Jesus. That's not what he's saying in the scripture. He's not saying that Jesus, this is symbolic. Again, this is understanding sim- symbolism. It's understanding numbers. It's understanding the word white. When we see white throughout the book of Revelation, that white stands for Purity. When John saw Jesus, he didn't see Jesus as an elderly man. He saw Jesus' unblemished purity. He saw Jesus in all of his purity. He saw Jesus Christ sinless. He saw Jesus Christ without blemish. He saw Jesus Christ, the lamb that was slain for our sins. If he didn't see Jesus Christ as pure, then Jesus couldn't have paid our sin debt. But when John looked and Jesus Christ was unveiled in the future, he saw that Jesus was seen as unblemished and pure. He says, white as snow. White in Revelation speaks of purity. White in Revelation speaks of sinless. When we come again on white horses, what's the significance? When we come again, we're coming again as Jesus, as one, sinless. Why? Not because we have not sinned on this earth, but because when we are found when in Jesus Christ, we are seen in God's eyes as sinless, as pure, as holy. That, was, that is what reconciles us back to God. If we had sin, we could not be in God's presence. But because of the sinless one, Jesus Christ, all of us can spend eternity with God in heaven. You see, when Jesus is seen by John, he's seen in his purity. You know what this tells us of Jesus, what he's revealing, that Jesus Christ is sinless, This is important because some say this, that Jesus was just a man. This tells of the deity of Christ. There's some that teach this, that Mary had, uh, 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 she was not a virgin when Jesus was born, but Jesus had had a Roman soldier father. I mean, you could read all kinds of crazy things about Jesus and what they're trying to do is simply this, that Jesus was not God. Some will say this, that Jesus had relationships with Mary, uh, the the prostitute, and there was some kind of a sinless relationship. These are people that are trying to get uh, us to the place where we believe that Jesus Christ, well, he must have sinned. If Jesus Christ sinned here on this earth, then Jesus Christ could not be pure. If Jesus Christ sinned upon this earth, then Jesus Christ could not be holy. And if Jesus Christ sinned upon this earth, he could not be God. But because God in the flesh went to the cross and paid our sin debt. He was a pure God. He was a holy God. He was a just God. And he paid our sin debt. And because of that, we have liberty. We have freedom. We have salvation through Jesus Christ. When John sees this pure, this white as wool, he sees this as white as snow. What is he saying? I see an unblemished, pure Savior. Listen, salvation comes from receiving the death of Jesus Christ, not just reading about the life of Jesus Christ. Many people say, I want to live for Jesus, so I'm going to follow his words that he spoke. You can follow all the words of Jesus. You can do good. You can help the poor. You can live a moral life. But being saved isn't because you listened to the words of Jesus. Being saved is because you accepted the death that Jesus Christ paid for you. You accepted the fact that he is God. Jesus Christ was not just a teacher. He was not just a prophet. Jesus Christ is God. And when John saw him, he saw him in his purity. Look again in verse number 14, he says this, not only did I see him white like wool, as white as snow, his eyes were as a flame of fire. Now, if this was literal, those fiery eyes would probably burn up that, whole, that wool. <laughs> this isn't literal. He didn't see this man with wool hair and fire in his eyes. It's symbolic of what he saw. He says, when I saw this, it was revealed to me who Jesus was. What is he saying? John saw him as a revealing Christ, as a flame of fire. He sees all, and nothing is hidden from God. Those flames, those flames of fire uh, in, in his eyes simply means this, nothing can be hidden. Oh, this is important. Your entire life is laid before him he knows all about us. He cannot be deceived. He sees all. He sees all men. He sees through all men. Men, you cannot fool this judge. When John sees the unveiling of Jesus, when he sees those fire in his eyes, what is he saying? You can't fool this judge. This judge knows all. There's no way that you're going to stand before this judge and you're not going to say something that this judge is going to say, I'm not sure what to believe. Well, I sit many a times, my entire week is, is meeting after meeting after meeting, and many a times it's what this person says or this person says. And there's times I just scratch my head and I think to myself, I'm not sure who to believe. Boy, it just sounds like their response is so believable. But when I hear their response, it sounds so believable. Who do I believe? I don't know why, because I am human and I'm not God. But John said this, when I saw Jesus revealed in all of his glory, I saw him in his purity. He is unblemished. And I saw him as the judge. He knows all. He cannot be fooled. He sees all. He is the judge. And you can't fool God. Oh, there's some Christians today. You think you're living a life that nobody knows. You think you're living a life that nobody's going to see. I want you to know this. John is saying this to you. God sees it. As human beings, we can only see what's on the outside, but Jesus sees what's on the inside. You might be living a life that you're fooling someone, but you can't fool the judge, Jesus Christ. I want you to see number five as we hurry. In verse number 15, the Bible says, His feet like fine brass. Again, this is symbolic. John saw him as untarnished in his integrity, untarnished in his integrity, like undefined brass, as if they burned in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. Brass in the Bible is an emblem of judgment. I don't have the time today but if you were to go back and study the tabernacle you would find that there are things that were made with with fine brass or brazen why why is that those were the things in the tabernacle where judgment or sacrifice needed to be made sins had to be atoned Brass, again, is one of those things that we find in the Bible. When we find in the Bible, it's a symbol of judgment. The Bible says this, his feet, like undefined brass, his feet speak of progress. He is with burning feet, unstoppable. He's going forth to judge. What, what John is saying is this, when I see Jesus coming, I see him in his integrity. I see him in his judgment. I see him in with his feet as this brass. He's unstoppable. In his going forth, he is coming to judge. And so, what do we find? We find this: he wears the robe of a judge. He wears the robe of a king. He's pure like wool. He sees right through you. He's coming to judge, and his feet are like the burned, uh, like like those that burn in furnaces. His his feet are are hurrying to come to judgment. His purpose this time when he comes, he's coming to judge those that have not repented of their sin. This is a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ in relentless judgment. Well, hear me today, there are some that will say this, well, when I see all these things happen, then I'm going to get right with God. So the Bible says today is the day of salvation. Jesus Christ is coming He is long-suffering to us. We're not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. But John is saying when Jesus Christ is unfolded in this revelation, he's not coming long-suffering. He's not coming with patience. He's not coming with mercy. He's not coming with grace. He is coming with judgment to those that have rejected him as God. Go with me, if you would please, the book of Acts. The book of Acts, Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter number 17. Look with me in verse number 30, if you would, please. Acts 17, verse number 30. In the times of this ignorance, God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. You see, when Jesus Christ comes again, there's no more winking at sin, there's no more long suffering. Because look at verse number 31, because he hath appointed a day. What day? in that which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained. Who is that man who he hath ordained? That man is Jesus Christ. That is the one that John sees as John looks into the future, as Jesus Christ is unveiled in before John. John is saying, this is the one that has the feet of brass. This is the one who is going to speak like mighty waters. This is the one, this is the one that is prophesied here in verse number 30 and 31. There's coming a day that, That appointed day, that appointed day has come. Wherefore he hath given assurance unto all men in that he hath raised him from the dead. That day is coming and John is seeing that day unfold as he sees Jesus Christ coming in that, and with feet like fine brass, he is seeing Jesus Christ come relentless in his judgment. You see, listen here, church. Listen here, one that has never trusted Christ as their Savior. I want you to hear me, the one that is playing games with God. The one that thinks that just simply going to church and doing good is enough to save you. The one that has never truly trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior, would you hear me please and hear me well, God is going to judge the world for their sin. If you are found dead in trespasses and sin, you will be judged by God. But if you are found in Christ, we will have eternal life with God. Would you mark this down? What John is telling us this, is John is describing this great king, this great man in his purity, this great risen savior. What he's describing is this, you cannot hide from this judge. He's coming for those that have sinned. Number six, would you write this down? Verse number 15, the Bible says, in his feet, like undefined brass, as if they burned in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. Jesus saw, John saw Jesus as unchallenged authority. The sound of many waters. Have you ever heard mighty waters coming together? Have you ever been to a place where the waves were just coming in? You can yell and you can scream. People can't hear you because the the sound of the mighty waters. His voice, what is John saying? His voice is powerful. Powerful. When he comes again, he's going to speak and there's going to be none that can challenge him. Why? Because he's going to be seen in all of his glory. He's going to be seen in all of his majesty. He's going to be seen as the judge. He's going to see through every man. No man can fool him. No man will try to fool him. Why? When they see Jesus and see him in his majesty, they'll understand that he has all authority. His voice it's powerful oh I've thought throughout the, the Bible stories of the voice think about this when Jesus stood he came to visit his friend Lazarus that had been dead the Bible said he was dead and they said he said to Jesus, his friends his sisters hey bring me to the place where Lazarus is and they said to Jesus he stinketh what are they saying he's dead and there's evidence that he's been dead That evidence is the fact he's already starting to rot. And Jesus comes to the place where they had put Lazarus in that grave, in that tomb, and he stood before that tomb, and as those that watched him and listened to him, his voice thundered out and said, Lazarus, come forth. And death could not hold Lazarus. That stench upon Lazarus could not hold him in that grave. The Bible says that he came walking out of that grave. He was alive. Why? Because of the voice of the Almighty. Amen. I think of this time where he raises the dead. Others, I think of this when Jesus Christ is asleep. His disciples are in the Sea of Galilee and they're, they're toiling and they're concerned. The waters are starting to hit the ship and come into the ship and they're afraid for their life and they wake Jesus up and they say Jesus don't you care do something they were wanting Jesus to help get that, the burden off of the boat and Jesus stands and with his voice he says peace be still and the mighty water the mighty water that once scared his disciples became as Peace. This once sea that was so powerful became a sea of peace and calm. How did that happen? Jesus simply said, Peace, be still. Oh, I would give anything to see this. The Bible tells us that there was once a time, if you could say, where only God existed there was nothing. I can only imagine what that even appears like. There's nothing. There's just God. And God with his voice had let there be and all of the majesty and all of the beauty of the universe was formed. And God would just simply speak and the sun would appear, and the moon would appear, and the earth would appear with the authority of his voice. God created this universe. What is John saying? When I saw Jesus, he came in thundering sounds of many waters. His voice thundered with authority. When Jesus Christ came the first time, he came meek. He would speak, and some would not want to listen. He was challenged by what he said. But when Jesus Christ comes the second time, when he speaks, all will listen. Would you write this down? Verse number 16, the Bible says, and he came in his right hand seven stars, or, and he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. His countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. Now remember, remember, this, John is describing symbolically what he sees. Remember, we looked at this, that seven, when we look at seven stars, what does the number seven mean? John saw him in his unequal majesty. Verse number 16. When he grabbed those seven stars, their significance to those seven stars, what is he saying? Seven is that complete number. He has the entire universe in his hands. He's unequal in his majesty. When God, when Jesus Christ is seen, when Jesus Christ is unveiled as John is seeing Christ, the 60 years later, he saw Jesus. That, was, that came the first time as a lamb. But when he saw Jesus Christ the second time come, he saw Jesus Christ in his unequal majesty. He saw Jesus Christ holding those sets, that number seven, that perfect number of stars, the complete universe in his hands. What is he saying? That Jesus Christ is all powerful. Jesus Christ is all man. Majestic. Jesus Christ is almighty. Everything is in his hands. You ever read that or sing that song? I got the whole, he's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole world in his hands. What is he seeing? He's seeing Jesus in unequal majesty. Verse number 16 not only shows us that he sees Jesus in his unequal majesty, he he also sees this, his mouth went out a sharp two-edged sword. Again, we read this and you think, man, that's just kind of weird. Jesus, he sees a sword come out of his mouth. Again, this is symbolic of what he is seeing about Jesus. He's describing he sees Jesus with great victory, with his sword, with his voice, You see the world the world is ramping up all of their firepower. We're seeing it even take place today in our world. They say if a nuclear war ever really happened, this, this planet would be annihilated. Mankind is preparing for a war. The Antichrist is going to take all of this firepower and he thinks with this firepower that he is going to be God. But John is revealing something about Jesus. Jesus is not coming with nuclear weapons. Jesus is not coming with tanks and helicopters. Jesus is not coming with a a, a mighty fighting army with guns and weapons. He doesn't have to. His name is Jesus. His power is in his voice. His defense is in his sword that proceeds out of his mouth. Jesus, just simply with his words, with his voice, is all He needs to conquer. See, he is showing Jesus' great victory. His words are victorious. He doesn't need man's firepower. He doesn't need, he doesn't have to try to outmatch mankind. He has outmatched mankind from the very beginning. Why? Because his words are powerful. You see, John laid his head on the, the breast of or of Jesus the first time. But what John is showing us when he saw Jesus the second time, look with with me what you find. And I saw him, verse number 17, and I fell to his feet as dead. And he laid his right hand upon me saying, fear not. I'm the first and the last, fear not. I'm all that you need. Fear not. I'm the resurrected Savior. Fear not. I'm pure. I'm God. Fear not. I'm coming as judge. Fear not. I'm coming with unequal majesty. Fear not. I'm coming with great victory. Fear not. The voice of Of Jesus said to John, Fear not. I am the one, the first, the last, the victor. And what does the Bible say? John, who once laid his head on the breast of Jesus, comes this time and he falls on his knees because he sees Jesus as the king and as his Lord. You see, the first chapter of Revelation, it's revealing Jesus. It's not complicated when we see what is this wool and fire and eyes and brass, what does it mean? John is simply identifying and helping us understand when he saw Jesus, he saw him like he said he would be.
0: You just finished listening to a message from the preaching ministry at Monclova Road Baptist Church. If it was a help to you, make sure that you let somebody know about it. If you need help beyond this message, make sure that you follow us on Instagram or Facebook or check out our website, monclovabaptist.org, and we would love to connect with you there and help you with anything that you might need. Have a great week, and we'll see you next time on the Monclova Baptist Church Podcast.